Hello and welcome to episode three of Museo Punks, a podcast for the Progressive Museum. My name is Jeffrey, and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Suze. Hey, Suze. Hey, how you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing all right. How's it going? Yeah, things are really good. Yeah, keeping busy. <laughs> yeah, very busy. Conferences don't seem to have stopped, even though this was meant to be my down season and my season just of thesis writing. But that's absolutely fine. What about you? How is life at Pittsburgh? Things are things are good. Busy, busy, busy. Uh, it was uh, Father's Day weekend this past weekend, and kids uh, treated me to some uh, fun activities. And it was always uh, it was a beautiful weekend. So we we got some sun, and uh, now it's uh, looking forward to uh, talking museums and talking futures. Yes, this is uh, this is a topic I've been really excited about us getting into ever since we had I had the Museums Australia conference a couple of weeks ago and there I was part of a session on shaping the future of museums and it was a really interesting session. Um, Dr. Stefan Hajkowitz, I I can't say his name. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think he'll give you a pass. (laughs) I, I, I think that's true. He um he's from Australia's Commonwealth Science and Industry Research Organization, or CSIRO, and he spoke about the six megatrends that they've identified in their Our Future World report. Mm. And it was a really interesting um, opportunity to hear from someone outside the sector at at what they think the big megatrends are that are shaping the world and and will be for the next 20 years. When you say megatrends, like, what are we talking about here? Okay, these these are the trends that they identified. They identified more from less. So the earth has limited supplies of natural minerals and energy and water resources. Um, The ones that are sort of essential for human survival. So we're going to have to do more with less or from, from less. So that was one of the mega trends. Another one is going, going gone, which is looking at how natural habitats and different species are in decline or at risk of extinction. He also spoke about the Silk Highway, which is looking at how the world economy is shifting from the west to the east and the north to the south. Um, Then there's a couple of others. There's Forever Young, which is talking about the ageing population virtually here, which, of course, explores a world of increased connectivity where where individuals and communities and governments are all immersed in the in the virtual world and then great expectations which is about rising demand for experiences over products and rising importance of social relationships which is an interesting one for museums i think those are some big time uh big time concepts and uh, big time concepts uh, you know, this idea of futures is is a is a big time concept, which, you know, I, I think uh, we're, you know, we're kind of uh, making this a series uh, in the podcast, a multi episode series, because um, I think I mean, it really deserves a, a really kind of broad, but at the same time, nuanced look at, you know, how how can museums kind of start to envision themselves decades down the road and what what can we be doing now to kind of position ourselves so that we are not only you know coping with the future but thriving yeah absolutely i think especially we we're in a sector where 
we think that the past and the present are the things that we're, you know, we've, we've built so much of our stock in, in holding on to the past and, and existing in the present. But it's the future that's the reason we're doing all this stuff is making sure that we've got, you know, everything preserved that, that will be important into the future. So actually looking towards those futures then becomes really critical. So this uh, in this episode, we're going to talk with um, somebody who uh, is is really you know putting forth some some interesting uh, thought about this idea of of future scanning. Uh, we'll talk to Bridget McKenzie uh, from Flow Associates, and um, you know next episode uh, we're going to also dedicate to this idea of futures, um, and uh, we'll be chatting with uh, Elizabeth Merritt from the Center for the Future of Museums. Um, so uh, without further ado, let's, uh, let's chat with Bridget. Bridget McKenzie is the founding director of Flow Associates, an organization that works to promote and facilitate creative learning and critical thinking. Before founding Flow Associates in 2006, Bridget was head of learning at the British Library, where she established a new program rooted in inquiry-based learning. In the 90s, she was education officer for the Tate, and she was also the first co-coordinator of a widening participation for the University of Arts and lead consultant, lead consultant, excuse me, uh, for the Clure uh, Duffield Foundation's Artworks Awards. And in addition to all this, uh, Bridget and her family often collaborate on creative projects that support uh, their local community. She's a photographer and writer, and she also likes to sing. Uh, Bridget, thanks so much for joining <laughs> us on uh, the third episode of Museo Punks. Hello, thanks for inviting me. Um, so, uh, you know, we're this episode. We're looking at the future. Uh, we're looking at ways we can um, start to s- see trends and glean insights into what may be coming down the road and. And you uh, are kind of a thought leader in this area of future scanning. Um, what can, can we start off by talking about what exactly is future scanning? Well, um, it's nice to be called a thought leader. Um, I think that what I'm doing, I, I, you know, I don't like make that claim for myself, but what I'm doing is to pick up on um, the kind of futures work that's happening um, outside of the cultural sector and to say, um, for example, in the military sector and to say, let's get really uh, uh, challenging about this. You know, let's not just pick up on trends. It's not all about trends. Um, for future forecasting is is much more about scenario planning. And scenario planning is is a fairly kind of complex procedure that takes account of um, a combination of trends and critical uncertainties. And my um, main argument, which I've made recently at the Museum Next conference, is that we don't pay enough attention to those critical uncertainties and we make assumptions too much, therefore, based on the continuity of trends. So... Um, Okay, I, I'd like to break in at this point and say you're yeah. talking about trends and critical assumptions. What what are the differences between the two? What's a trend okay. and what is a critical assumption? A critical uncertainty. Critical uncertainty, yes. 
Yeah. So a trend is um, something, a, a movement that we can identify, a pattern that we can identify from the past that um, looks set to continue into the future. So um, we have, uh, and, and we we have trends, for example, um, oh, I don't know, you name a trend. There are lots of them. We're, we're, we're fairly comfortable with them. Um, <laughs> we see them all around us. Um, for example, the, the trend for population growth, um, which has actually slowed down. Um, uh, so, so trends are things that are moving onwards, but, they're, but, they're, but they might be um, uh, mobile. They might be moving up and down. Um, and then cutting against that and disrupting those trends are critical uncertainties and these are things that um are much we're much less comfortable with they're much harder to describe um and they the biggest ones are to do with um the impact of of climate change the the the, the many variable and complex impacts of climate change um and my argument is generally that we get more more struck by those um by by the comfort factors um of the trends and we don't face up to the challenge factors of the critical uncertainties and our our company is based on the theory of flow and the theory of flow is that people are optimally engaged they're um absolutely engaged when their lives involve a combination a balanced combination of comfort and or continuity and challenge or uncertainty so we're really trying to um create imaginative scenarios that help people cope with both or combine both that's Does that make sense yeah definitely and it's super interesting because i you know as we look at the future um you know the ways we kind of uh pursue trends and the ways we pursue these uh critical uncertainties are i would assume very very different so uh, how you know how can we how can organizations kind of um, you know, what methodologies can we pursue in, in both of these avenues of, of, of future scanning? Well, um, there, there is a, an established methodology for, um, for, for doing scenario planning. Um, and it, it involves, first of all, really understanding both trends and megatrends and if you identify your particular domain or problem area, so say the problem area is what is the future of museum learning, for example. I just received an email about it, so I was just thinking about that. What is the future role of museums in encouraging cultural learning? So you might take that as your as your problem, and then you um, analyse the the trends and of those you identify which are the really mega trends the things that are strong enough to um to to continue um but also the things that are are strong enough to be highly significant if there's a a disruption well and then sorry <laughs> no i was just going to ask i mean yeah in terms of paying attention to those sorts of, I guess, different signals and, and that pattern recognition that you're talking about, how do you know what to pay attention to? I mean, how do you know what the signal is versus what the noise is? Uh, well, that's really difficult. Um, and 
Uh, you don't really know. Um, all you can do is to invest time in researching and conversing about it. And, um, and you just come to um, a more nuanced understanding and greater confidence. So um, I, I argue that organizations need to do a great deal more forecasting and a great deal more um, discussion about what's important. And it con- it has to be constantly revisited, um, uh, you know, maybe maybe even four times a year um, within within an organization. Bridget, I know I noticed just in the short time that we've been talking, um, you know, I've heard words like future scanning and forecasting, but not prediction or um, oh. that kind of. So can you can you talk about that nuance a little bit and 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 why we're not calling it predicting or um. yeah yeah i'll just quickly finish with with the method approach so there are four steps to the method the first is identifying trends and megatrends then um, then identifying the crucial or critical uncertainties and you distinguish between um average (laughs) uncertainties and what might be called black swans which are really um very significant and um uh Un, sometimes undescribable or unknowable critical future events and then um you um work towards identifying um different scenarios from those trends and uncertainties and it helps if you create a structure like a matrix but you don't have to you could um uh just map um map scenarios around a theme uh, and then from that, from that scenario uh, work, you then identify possible paths of action that allow you to um, navigate an optimal path or, or to actually create the ideal scenarios, the scenarios that will allow you to be resilient. So just coming back to the scenarios, the work that you have to do to, ident- to, to, to describe those scenarios, these aren't predictions as you rightly point out these are more um works of uh, works of fiction really they're <laughs> they're works of imagination so um uh, it it's it you draw in um tactics you know that museums are quite good at that we're used to things um where we might bring in uh, visual illustration um metaphor storytelling um, I don't know, maybe some people would argue that museums aren't good enough at that, but, but they have the, the potential to be. So um, museums can actually play this role of scenario planning for their communities or for wider society. See, so, I, I, I find that quite interesting, this discussion of horizon scanning as being a creative process because I was doing a little bit of reading in preparation for the show and that was that's what I was picking up as well that this is as much a creative process as an analytical one but Mm -hmm. in your blog post on seeing museums in 2060 Mm -hmm. you said that when we think about museums in the future we should not project by what we would like to see or by what is happening now so this idea of creativity it's sort of creating a future, but you're also sort of saying that we shouldn't be projecting by what we want to see. So what, how, how do you know what to project then? Um, well, I, there, there, are, there are two sides to the work. And in my 
blog post that I wrote uh, <laughs> back in 2012, I hadn't really learned quite so much then about the process of scenario planning. So I perhaps wasn't clear enough about it. But there are there are two stages. One is is drawing or imagining scenarios um, based on uh, a possible reality <laughs> when you map these trends and uncertainties together. And then from that, you then map your way forward and you still have to start, have to paint pictures of how you're going to, to move on. So um, uh, quite a lot of scenario planning gets stuck at the point of um, uh, uh, of of just painting what might be and it doesn't um draw, describe pathways beyond that and in and my feeling is that the only way that we can imagine pathways beyond is to be um relatively idealistic because um we can't carry on as we are <laughs> we have to disrupt the we have to disrupt tradition we have to move on and make change so um does that make sense it's quite hard to explain and i'm and i'm struggling with it myself too but yeah i think it i think it does make sense um but you know the immediate question to me is that of you know uh of course museums um you know they have pride for their past naturally and often you know because of budget and staff capacities consumed with what's happening in the present they're kind of almost overwhelmed mm. with it so how can mm. count how can budget strapped and and staff strapped organizations um start to use these techniques to kind of um address what's happening now but look toward the future and, and start scanning the horizon well i think it's essential i mean you know if, if you're say imagine your family life is in crisis um you don't say, oh, well, my family life is in such crisis. I can't uh, go and see a counsellor and I can't <laughs> go and um, uh, make positive steps or get out of my terrible marriage. You know, um, <laughs> the crisis point is wh precisely when you have to start thinking um, about your goals for the future and how you want to live your life for the better. So um, it's precisely at that point that you need to um, seek critical friends as your counsellors and you need to um, work together to imagine a um, to imagine what could what might go horribly wrong and, and how we can make it better and um, uh, and so the the key is in actually appreciating that we are in crisis um, as a society as a planet um, and therefore as a sector. Uh, and really um, critically understanding w the roots of what's going wrong. And I'm really interested in this idea of crisis that you're talking about. What do you? Yeah. How do you identify the crisis? I mean, what do you see as is the urgency that that we're facing? Well, <laughs> um, I, I I think that. Um, you know, museums are are not separate from society. They might have, um, they they have been created as utopias, as as uh, as and as places of escape. But fundamentally, uh, they are within and part of nature and part of society. And nature is in crisis. Um, the the 
the, the bad news that we're hearing, you know, the conflicts across the world, for example, the conflicts in Syria are rooted in climate change and resource security. And those conflicts and difficulties are going to be spreading. They are spreading already. Um, and the and what's happening is that governments on the whole are responding with austerity policies, which um, involves shutting down the organisations that are potentially generating um, local resilience or cultural therapy or all the possible solutions to, to, to this natural crisis or this resource crisis. Um, so they're privatising the commons at the very point at which we need the commons to be opened up and and shared so the crisis is a crisis of values um it's a uh, <laughs> uh it, it's a crisis of resources and and i think um many many museums are are still fairly cushioned from this reality but uh, um i i'm i might be seen as a as a, a harbinger of doom and i have been criticized as such um, I, I don't th- so. <laughs> I don't think so, because I mean, that example that you just, you know, shared with us, I think really illustrates this idea of megatrends and that, the, in the, you know, the interconnectivity of of everything. Right. Um, and mm. and how that something a trend on a global scale like that can really impact what we do in in the museum world. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, coming from the Museums Australia conference where I just was, and we also had a session on on futures and sh- how we shape the future of museums. And uh, Dr. Stefan Hodgkowitz from Australia's Commonwealth Science and Industry Research Organization identified a number of megatrends. And two of the big ones were around these exact issues that you're talking about, which was mm-hmm. more from less of how we have sort of limited supplies of natural resources and therefore we're being called upon to make to, to do more with less. And yeah. another one was Going, Going, Gone, which is about how many of the world's natural habitats and plant species and animal species are in decline. So mm. of, of the six megatrends that were identified, two of them were ostensibly environmental. Yeah. I noticed that in the report, the write-up from that event, that those two environmental trends were at the bottom of the report and much um, less discussed, it seemed. Is that the case, or they actually weren't in in the conversation itself? So that was okay. the, the report. There, uh, there was a report done by Arts Hub here in Australia, which which looked at how these megatrends might affect the arts, and they were the ones that they. They weren't mentioned until the bottom, as you say, Bridget. But they certainly weren't um, neglected in the conversation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, go, go, uh, Jeffrey. No, go. Yeah, no, uh, so, Brid- Bridget, what should, what should museums be paying attention to now? Um, and, uh, you know, what should they be looking at that can, can start to play, you know, play into their long-term strategies? Well, I, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, significant work going on in the UK and it probably is going on very in a very similar way uh, in Australia and elsewhere um, onto the value of culture you know we 
cultural organisations are being pressured to justify their value in a time of austerity. And um, there's this distinction between um, economic value and then other kinds of value. (laughs) Um, And quite often the arts sector has, I think, done itself a disservice by not really defining the other and also not um, locating the other values in relation to economics. And I think that we need to show that um, that cultural organisations and especially ones that are public and commons oriented are, um, are absolutely economical but it's just that they don't generate necessarily a fast buck. Um, the, the benefits aren't, aren't incredibly short-term and they shouldn't be forced to be so. So um, this might not sound very much to do with the future, but I, I, I think this is at the core of it. The core of it is, is, is identifying our values and identifying how, how culture and heritage or creativity and heritage are absolutely at the root of um, generating a richer sense of value and connecting us with nature and a sense of place or a sense of home. So I've been working on this idea of what I'm calling oikonomic, an oikonomic value of culture. So oikeos is the origin of economics. It's, it's, um, it, it means a favourable place. Um, so it's the beginning, of eco- the beginning of the meaning of both economy and ecology. So it's really an, a more ecological sense of valuing culture um so i i can talk some more about that if you like yeah absolutely yeah that sounds really uh really progressive uh so give us some more about that okay so i'm basically saying that um that a more economic approach to valuing culture is the absolutely um it is an economical approach um, that value might translate through a much longer food chain um, because cult- we, pres- we, we conserve culture for posterity and that's its purpose. Um, so we have to allow posterity to take, uh, to take its course. Um, <laughs> and then in turn, you know, if we're allowing the destruction of the environment to destroy the potential for that posterity, we're we're um uh we're not we're not conserving our heritage it's a it's a kind of double um it's a <laughs> in trying to con- conserve our our organizations we're we're contributing to the destruction of of the context in which they can be conserved does that make sense yeah but yeah i think yeah. one thing i'm interested with this is we're sort of talking about long-term and longevity and, and that's both with this idea of future scanning is looking sort of into the future but also with what you're talking about here. But that doesn't line up particularly well with political cycles no. um, or funding cycles. So no. where does where does that facet into this sort of thing? No, that's interesting. I mean, really, political cycles are roughly four or five years and uh, funding cycles are kind of, you know, they, funding organisations do five-year plans and then funds are given on a yearly basis. So, and quite often projects are two or three years. So that's the limit of most people's thinking. But I, 
but really, um, cultural value and uh, and cultural change is more is more decadal. You know, change happens over ten or twenty years um, in the sense that we can see the the generation of value say from a new museum or from a from a um a social impact project um do you think that um do you think the success of this approach you're you're talking about relies on um those uh cycles aligning or getting in phase or can can this happen in, you know without them kind of organizing organ being organized in, in concert um, well, I think that's part of it. The other major factor is that politicians um, make decisions based on their ability to get elected again. So, for example, here mm. in the UK, um, the current government want to kill badgers because um, <laughs> the farmers union think that badgers are infecting cattle with TB. Um, but it's been proven by a scientific report that cost forty nine million pounds that the badger cull is um, is pointless and will actually do more harm than good. But because the farmers want it, the politicians want to give the farmers a carrot. They want to keep them happy because the farmers are an important um, conservative vote. So that's the I think that's the crux of it. It's a much more political issue than just how we plan our projects. Um, and and I do think that in the cultural sector we have to get much more political as individuals and um, and as organisations. And I know that's very controversial. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Bridget, if if uh, an organisation or a museum worker would like to uh, learn more about the techniques, the future scanning techniques that we talked about, where can they go? Uh, where can they find you online, um, c- potentially connect with you? Well, I, um, we're, we're changing our organization slightly. Um, Flow um, is, uh, also has a sister company called Flow India. So on an international basis, we can be contacted um, through Flow India and Flow Associates is now, will be Flow UK. So f- Flow UK and Flow India, and and potentially also there'll be other international offices. So, um, uh, but at the moment, if you want to see what I think and some of these approaches to to future scanning, my my blog is called The Learning Planet. So you can Google that and find me there. And I'm planning to set up a kind of think tank. Um, around these ideas so i'm looking to specialize now as a consultant and a researcher in in this area of culture ecology value and the future um and that think tank will be called the learning planet um and so i'm i'm not necessarily setting myself up as an expert in it but as somebody inquiring into it and looking for partners um and looking for support to do more research um awesome well i'll i'll drop links to um the learning planet and and flow in the show notes uh for this episode so listeners can can uh, go right to where uh, all all your great okay. thoughts and ideas are um are posted online 
Um, yeah. Thank you so much. I, I think uh, this is a fascinating topic. Um, and, uh, you know, I, we really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to chat with us on this episode. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. We covered a lot there, Suze. Yeah, absolutely. Including our first mention of badgers. Badgers on the Museo Punks podcast. That's going to be a, uh, that's going to, what do they call the movies where they, where they hide an Easter egg? That'll be our Easter egg moving forward. <laughs> I'm going to try to work in badgers to every interview. Yep, that's a challenge to any guest who comes onto the show from now on. If you can bring badgers into this or some other awesome animal, I think you get maybe a little prize. Yeah, definitely. That sounds good. Um, so, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we're you know we're gonna next episode we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about this as well uh, with Elizabeth Merritt uh, from the Center for for the Future of Museums. Um, but for this episode, Suze, uh, where can people go to find the show notes? Ah, to find the show notes, they can go to museopunks.org. And since this is episode three, it's museopunks.org slash o three. You got it. Um, you can also follow Museo Punks on Twitter and app.net. We're uh, at Museo Punks. Um, and uh, I'd also, we'd also love if, if you listen to the podcast and you like what we're doing and you find the topics useful and informative, um, to either rate or review us in iTunes because that helps incredibly with uh, with discoverability and uh, um, we would appreciate that uh, that very much. Um, so, uh, Suze, uh, until next time, where can people uh, get in touch with you online? Probably the easiest place to get in touch with me is on Twitter where I am at ShinesLike, all one word, obviously, because it's Twitter. Um the other place is my blog, which is museumgeek.wordpress.com. What about you, Jeffrey? Where can people find you? And as uh, the Sue's coined the term that I am static made on the internet, uh, at static made on pretty much every social network and at the dot com. So, uh, and with that, uh, I think we can call it a wrap on episode three. Um, look forward to uh, chatting with you uh, next time on episode four. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us.